This is part two, guys. Part two of the podcast with Wade Kisner of Sweet Point Setter Tales. All right. Uh, obviously, the last episode was uh, about an hour long. That's because Wade and I have a really, really, really good time talking to each other. Um, he's a very, very, very good guy. And if you can't tell, the man's got a lot of knowledge to share and loves to share, share uh, stories. So, with that being said, I don't want to hold y'all up too long. I just want to also ask you guys to go and support my Patreon page. You can go to patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, and just search for the Gundog Notebook. You will find it. Um, pretty soon, we'll have some some giveaways coming up. We'll have a, a lot of good merch, a lot of new merch coming up. Um, this season is actually going to be very, very good, and I'm trying to get some things out and made and produced uh, before the, the spring training season. So, if you haven't kind of noticed or peeped game, check out my second Gundog Notebook. This one is really, really, really cool. It's got a lot of my photos in it. Um, a lot of photos by Joshua Same, who is my one of my uh, videographers and uh, photographers. It's weird to kind of say at the same time. But he, his, a lot of his work is in it. A lot of the other uh, photography is from Ashley, my wife. And some of it's from me couple of articles and you know just things that i've kind of put out there that i felt like might be helpful to folks um but yeah so look forward to spring 2019 you guys should have some new gun dog notebooks on the way and uh you know i i feel like we can we can start working on getting her done we i i really really think this is going to be a good year for us so just keep Keep supporting, guys. I really appreciate it. If you support the Patreon, um, you know, that really just keeps me going and allows me to do more. It helps me finance this whole project. And it's something that the more you guys do, the more often I can do it. My goal is to turn this into a 24-7 thing. Um, and I'm going to do it regardless of Patreon, but your support really helps me out for sure. All right. So outside of that, um, I just got back in from doing some, some work with Ruger and, uh, I'm looking forward to putting this second episode out. Did a little, little work on game finding and, you know, retrieving and, and kind of conditioning his hold and things like that. You got to pay attention, pay attention to your dog. So I won't bore you too long with that story, but I did want to ask you guys to just go check out my Patreon and definitely expect some things coming up in the spring. All right, guys, here is the rest of the Gundog Notebook with Wade Kisner from Sweet Point Setter Tales. Dog Notebook Podcast, a podcast featuring the stories, trips afield, 
and legacies that are left following great gun dogs and classy bird dogs. I'd like to thank my sponsor, the Pride Dog Food, for their excellence in performance dog nutrition and Orvis for allowing me the written platform for my outdoor writing. I'd also like to thank the other friends and contributors that make this gun dog community such a great thing. Thanks for listening. This is the next episode of the Gun Dog Notebook, hosted by Darrell Smith. Right. Now, are you, and, and, and before we move on from that, can I ask you, what is the secret to being able to hunt with Lou? What's the secret? What's that now? I I'm said, what, what is the secret to being able to hunt with Lou? Because not everybody gets a chance to hunt with um, Lou. <laughs> <laughs> well, you got to be a big tipper first. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. No, you know, I tell you, um, I just, it, it's hard for me. I, you know, when we go guide and I just naturally am always thinking about, you, you know, you, you lead with your best. Mm-hmm. You know, I saw how I was always in school and in athletics and, and teams that I was on. And when I coached my boys, you know, teams, it was always, you know, when you, you got to, you know, lead with your best, best guys, you know, and, and, and then if you, you know, you get deeper in the game and you get a lead, then you can get some other people some playing time, but you got to start with your best. And, but uh, for, for Lou, I'm just always so used to him being the first guy on the ground, you know, mm-hmm. and, then, and then when he's not because of that injury that he had or whatever, that was kind of odd. It was just kind of an odd uh, situation. But now we joke, I joke with some of the clients about, hey, now that I got the young dogs kind of up to speed, I just don't need to hunt him near as much. And yeah. Only my good clients will get to, get to hunt with Lou. <laughs> so they all kind of want to know what, what does it taste to take to be considered a good client, I guess. But, but uh, yeah. you know, we have fun with it. He's he's perfect. Uh, I had him hunting the other day uh, uh, with a, uh, a gentleman that had his eight-year-old son out there trying to get his first bird, you know, and, and you know, he he had a couple nice attempts mm-hmm. over Lou, and I was hoping he would get it, but uh, but Lou's a good one for that. You yeah. know, he'd he lock up on point, this young man got to walk in there kind of, you know, uh, experience what that was like. But, uh, no, I let most people, you know, and Lou doesn't care. I mean, he, 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 he doesn't discriminate about, uh, you know, who bad shots or good shots or whoever. Now he might give you a look down. And oh my God. It's a couple in a row. I've had that look a few times. Is that not the worst look in the world though? <laughs> You and you will never yeah, you forget. Know, it. Be, yeah, yeah. I like to say that I don't get that very often, but I have. Yeah, I've seen it. <laughs> I've seen it a few times, and he's done it to a few clients too. Mm-hmm. And uh, we have, of course, you know. It, and you know, when you're client hunting, a lot of that's all, all about you know, entertainment and keeping people loose. Right. You know, you got a guy that's missed several birds, and he's a little embarrassed. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe guys are kind of getting on his case or, you know, he's frustrated or whatever. And actually, a lot of them are apologizing. Hey, I'm just so sorry, Wade. You know, your, your dog's working really hard, you know. And, yeah. Uh, you know, just not getting getting it done. You know, and it's like, hey, I'm so proud. Right, right. And, uh, but uh, but we have fun with it, you know. That, that's when I kind of say, well, you know, I got to tell you, you know, did you see Lou look back here at me? And he went, no, no, I don't know what that about. 
Look, if if I it's said, any, you know, I gotta tell you, he's just wanting to. He's got that look tells me he's wanting to know if I if I give him the signal, he'll just start catching them on the ground. Oh my god! Yeah. Right. Uh, but uh, and, and you know they laugh and it kind of breaks up the you know the the, the pressure that you know they they feel. But you know, you know, I've seen it myself many a time. I know yeah. exactly what that look means. Look, uh, and it's but, uh, it's terrible. I messed around. I went dove shooting uh, this this season. And, you know, Lou is at least a gentleman about it. Let me tell you about Ruger, okay? Ruger is not, he's he's rude. He's a rude dog, okay? He, <laughs> we were sitting there, and I, I it, honestly, he, I think the dog knows my shooting skill. I shoot fairly well. I missed a, I missed the dove clean out. It was a low flying bird. Um, just, it's a shot that I typically would have missed. When I tell you he looked at me and after that decided he wasn't going to listen to me for the rest of the hunt. He was going to hunt for himself until I got my shooting game back on. (laughs) Wasn't breaking to the shot any point, but I think that dog was so upset that I missed that shot. He was like, I don't need you anymore. Mm -mm, I can do this better. (laughs) I will say Lou pretty much shakes it off because his whole thing is, well, let's find another one. Right. I mean, uh, and honestly, one of the things that he probably isn't as, uh, I mean, Adeline excels over him as finding, you know, crippled, crippled mm-hmm. birds, you know, wing shot birds. Um, you know, Lou will give it kind of the old, okay, I'll take a couple pass through here and I may find it, but you know what? There's more birds out here. Right. I'm going to go find another one. Whereas Adeline is relentless. She's a tracker. She's, she, you can tell she's right tracking exactly with the path of where the, uh, the bird went and giving her enough time, she'll find it. Right. So she kind of, that's kind of her role a lot of times when we, somebody knocks a bird down and it's heavy cover and we can't find it, you know, mm-hmm. Lou's kind of like, really? Come on. You right. know, <laughs> right. if you were a good shot, we would be over here messing around. <laughs> <laughs> Lou is all about <laughs> business. Find Look. Some, more, some more birds. Uh-huh. For sakes. But, uh, but yeah, she's very good at that. And I think that's where that nose comes in too, that we talked about earlier. But, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, so it's good to have a, a brace of dogs that have strengths in different areas where you know it, it's gonna when we're guiding, especially right. uh, you've got those kind of issues covered. You know, you get a crippled bird down that you can't find, or um, you know, you got to cut a lot of ground to cover you know, in a huge field with uh, uh, with maybe two guys right. and uh, that kind of thing. So right, so yeah, it's uh, it's all about. Uh, communication with that dog and after 11 years you can imagine that he and I kind of on the we're just kind of thinking the, the, the same when we're in the field mm-hmm. I know kind of what he's thinking and and he's communicating to <laughs> right I mean, through his tail and through his mannerisms really I mean I, I it's kind of uncanny because I can really I know about okay birds are running you know how do you know that I just know I can tell how he's how he's hunting and I can tell that you know uh, how his tail's moving and the speed of his tail, you know, and, and that, the quartering, you know, how he's he's narrowed up on, on where he's quartering. I can tell exactly that he's he's hit some sand, mm-hmm. and when he hits sand, he's going to work it to the source, and then there's going to be a bird there, so you better get ready, <laughs> right? Or something's going to, you know, something's going to about to happen, and so, uh, and that's the fun part for me is just being able to understand and and you know so. I take that for granted probably because it's just kind of that I just know, you know, and, and Adeline is the same way. I've had her enough. Uh, the young dogs, you know, we're getting there, yeah. you know, I'm kind of learning their styles and 
kind of what's going on with them. It might take another season to kind of get really uh, tuned into them. But uh, mm-hmm. the guys that have hunted the same dog for season after season after season, as you know, really get to know what that dog's doing. Oh, days. yeah. Oh, and yeah. Uh, and right. as a guide, that's important because, you know, uh, my job is to have for you to have a good, positive experience, mm-hmm. find the birds, and you get some shooting. Uh, whether you're successful or not, at least you get those contacts, you get to see the dogs work. And um, and so that's important for me to be able to uh, do the best job I can to make that happen. Some days it's harder than others because of, of the setting conditions or the weather or whatever it might be. I mean, I'll be the first to admit there are some days, you know, as a guide, you struggle a little bit. And mm-hmm. typically what you find out is all the guys have struggled those days because it's dry or the, you know, the weather's, you know, whatever it is, it's kind of relates to all the dogs. They're just, nobody's, you know, the, the conditions really are poor. Right. Uh, but yeah, I've had days where I've like, oh my gosh, you know, like we got to get on our game here where we're just not finding these birds like we should. But, right. um, but most days, most days we can. And, uh, and you know, hopefully, uh, the, the people at the end, uh, want to hunt with a setter again that's kind of my my joy down there is that i'm the only uh, guide that has any kind of dogs other than german short hairs and <laughs> german short hairs are great don't get me wrong i'm not knocking them They're oh but we're gonna we got it's it's, it's totally fine if you I've give hunted, them a bunch of trash yeah. though <laughs> <laughs> i've hunted with a lot of them but but so what happens is clients that go down there a lot, typically, you know, when they're just the luck of the draw, they just need a guy. Yeah. More likely to be hunting with uh, German short hair dogs than they ever would a setter. And so once in a while, when they happen to draw me, it's kind of like, what are, you know, what, what are we hunting with today? And I say English setters, and they kind of look at me like, what? Mm-hmm. And, and I would have to say that there's a lot of people that say, I've never, ever hunted with an English setter before. You just don't see them in Iowa much. They're just up in this part of the country. There's just not a lot of them. Right. And so uh, that's pretty common for guys uh, to say, I've never, never hunted with them. And so those are the guys that when you get done, you want to say, wow, that was pretty, that was an experience, you know, watching those setters work and watching the tails and, you know, and mm-hmm. the things that they do out there uh, and how they uh, carry themselves in the field. That was, that was a pretty cool experience. And, uh, and when some of them start asking for you next time, you know, on purpose, say, I want to hunt with those setters again, uh, that's that's pretty gratifying. Right, right. And, I mean, and that definitely means a lot. Um, and, and first and foremost, I'm always going to give for every, for my buddies Richard Mumpower and Shane Drake, who have German short hairs, I'm always going to give German <laughs> short hairs trash. Always. Okay. And I, and then next month I'm going to be an English pointer guy. So it's, it's the, it's, uh, it's going to continue. It's definitely going to continue. So just, I had to put that out there for them because I know they're listening to it. <laughs> well, you know, grandpa always said, he said, you know, I'll tell you one thing here. I'll give you a piece of advice and it's to lead you through your life. And I said, okay, grandpa, what is that? And he said, you be dang careful what you say about a man's wife. <laughs> you be super, super damn careful what you say about a man's dog. Oh gosh, exactly. So, yeah, so I always remember, always remembered that. But uh, no, there's some great dogs out there. Yeah. They're meat dogs, as I call them, and they're out there working. They're working guys. They're out there trying to put uh, birds in the air, and 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 whether they're labs or mm-hmm. German short hairs or beasles or whatever they are, I hunted with them all, and yeah. so. Uh, Yep. Uh, I just happen to have a preference as you do, and you know that's mm-hmm. that's great. You know everybody does, but uh, 
Everybody does. Uh, yeah, and it, and it, I'm and just it's, stuck with setters. I don't know what I tell you. I just, I'm just hooked on that tail, man. I don't know what it is. That that thing is pretty. I mean, everybody has their their <laughs> preference, but I cannot lie that that flag and tail, you can't go wrong with it. I'm mm, and yeah, uh, well, I saw. Like you said, you know, until it's time to take the cucklebirs out of it. You right. Know, like the beaver tail when you're done hunting, it's not so cool anymore. Right. But, Ex- uh, exactly. Yeah. So that, it's pretty. It's a pretty neat. Uh, uh, piece of equipment on those dogs, and mm-hmm. you know that tail set. I think we talked about that. You know, some guys get kind of hung up on high tail versus you know low tail. Um, mm-hmm. Over in Europe, they're really into low tails. They want all their dogs to be, you know, and some of them they want to be tail draggers almost. And, yeah. Uh, in France, and some of those countries over there, whereas here, you know, especially field trials, the judges more looking for that right. stand up twelve o'clock tails. They call it, but. Uh, so that just that just has one of those. Hers is almost straight up like a flagpole. But mm-hmm. uh, for me, I I'm more, more interested in what happens on the front end of the dog then, than that end. But right. Uh, but you know, it, I can see how guys like you know it, it's pretty it's fun to see that that tail sticking out. But mm-hmm. uh, but uh, um, so talk- it's just a difference in in, in 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 style, and that's the thing with the puppies. You know, it's kind of, you know, can you guarantee they'll all have this tail or that tail? Right. Not really. In fact, there's a lot of a lot of field trial dogs get washed out, not because they don't have hunting skills. It's just because they don't have a style, and they know that they're not going to get the needed points uh, to win some of those uh, some of those contests. So, right. so there's some great dogs that uh, probably. Uh, just because of their, their their tail situation, don't don't make it to the to the big time, as they say. But they're they're still great hunting dogs. The people that get those are, are are really fortunate. Right. So, and that and that brings me to my next point. Now, you had the 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 amazing opportunity to hunt in Ireland, and you also hunt in Iowa. Um, so, talk about just the standards for the dogs and the tail sets and every and, and all of that but talk about the terrain and the landscape because that was really wild to me when you told me about um the differences between iowa and in ireland well i mean here you know we're used to hunting uh all uh, lots of fields of uh crp conservation reserve program fields that are you know uh, where farmers are paid to you know, put in put these tracks of land into some kind of grass program, uh, creates habitat for the birds and that kind of thing. Usually, it's marginal land that doesn't raise very very good crops. But uh, so so we had a lot of that. Hunt a lot of fence rows. Uh, you know, the preserve is kind of a mix of fence rows and some open grass kind of fields that are uh, planted in different kinds of cover. Right. But most of the fields are relatively, you know, 80 acres or 100 acres, so they're relatively small. Um, and then we get over to over to Ireland. It's a little different. They, in fact, we hunted uh, uh, the the peat bogs over there for snipe, mm-hmm. uh, which was quite an experience. I mean, they have they have these bogs that are thousands of years old that used to be forest that now are basically peat bogs, and uh, they they go as far as you can see, and uh, they. They have a uh, kind of a, a heather-like plant that kind of grows on top of it, and mm-hmm. uh, it it is kind of a natural cover for uh, a, a bird they call snipe, which is a, a little bigger than a sparrow. I mean, they're really small, but they are fast, right. a very fast bird. And so they run these dogs on the on the peat bogs on snipe, and uh, and that was quite an experience. I've never 
hunted in the, on land or, you know, cover like that because you could actually feel the bog kind of moving. You know, if you jumped up and down on it, you could feel it kind of mm-hmm. given, kind of like a sponge, kind of like walking on a trampoline or something. It was kind of the sensation. Now, uh, for a guy with my age and with my knees, um, you know, it didn't take much of that to, to wear me slick, but, right. um, but it's kind of interesting. They, they, uh, have, uh, kind of some European championships on this very, uh, bog that we were allowed to hunt on. It's kind of, uh, in Ireland, uh, sniper, big, really a bigger deal than pheasant are. And so, uh, they have, uh, a lot of, um, um, championships there from like where, uh, people bring their dogs over from France and Germany and, and England and they, they basically do about a five day trial out on these, uh, bogs. But, uh, interesting place. Um, right. And then their pheasant, their pheasant are kind of where we hunted pheasant was in these huge fields of what they call rapeseed, mm-hmm. uh, which, it's almost like a turnip or a beet. If you, if you, I mean, I've seen fields here. I'm not a deer hunter, but I know that they plant some of these food plots of uh, turnips, uh, kind of a plant for for deer, and that's kind of what it reminded me of. Except they're, they're, the whole field is covered in these uh, these kind of broadleaf plants, and they're probably about boot top high. And these pheasants there will be down under that canopy and and uh running in underneath that canopy you couldn't see them but they, they were moving in underneath there yeah. wow so you go into the fields and they work their dogs like we would and the dogs you know go on point when they pin one of these birds and and uh but it was yeah i'd never it was interesting cover i'd never not what i i guess uh expected now they do have a lot of hedgerows there so the some of the birds are in hedgerows um, a little bit of timbered edge, but uh, it was quite a bit different than what we experienced here in Iowa. Right, and you know that's the different things, and and even you know you were telling me yesterday that you can kind of feel the peat bogs kind of moving up under you too. Yes, yeah, you could. I mean, if I if you would kind of jump up and down and yeah. from a standing position, you could actually feel it kind of given like so. It's um, and they were there. While we were there, there were several places we stayed. We stayed in some bed and breakfasts as we were touring the country, and and you know they still uh, harvest some of that peat wow. uh, and dry it and use it as fuel. They actually burn it like you would here, like you would burn wood. It was uh, pretty interesting. Huh. And uh, that's that's how back in the old days, that's how they utilized the the bogs. They would cut these huge sections out and mm-hmm. that's how what they used for fuel and so because there wasn't that many trees in ireland it was mostly open country and so they needed something to, uh to burn and uh so now pretty much the bogs are protected and i don't think they could do that anymore like they once did but uh, uh there was a time when the when the fuel companies there in ireland would take huge tracks out at one time and and actually, we were hunting an edge that is now covered in kind of forest, kind of trees. And uh, one of the guys was who is a lifelong resident there outside the bog. He lives in a small town of, uh, I believe, Moat, which is the town right outside where the bog's located. And he was yelling at these guys. They were in there look, trying to get some woodcock to come out of this kind of timber, damp kind of draw. And he, they got to a certain point, and he told them to stop and and come straight out towards him because if they continued to go forward, there were some large 
areas where the bog had been removed, you know, years ago, and they, they basically they're pits now, and so these guys would perhaps fall into these pits, and that could be a bad thing. Right. So, uh, so you got to really pay attention when you're out there. I mean, they're uh, they they were pointing out a certain reddish plant and said, whenever you see that red plant, try to kind of go around that because those only grow where the bog is the thinnest and it's kind of wet. And so you're more likely to sink in there. And yeah, so, and so if you could imagine watching dogs carrying a shotgun, but at the same time trying to watch where the heck your steps you're, you're stepping. Right. It was, that, it was that's... a little bit challenging. I got to tell you, I spent more time watching where I was <laughs> stepping than probably, uh, watching for snipe but uh wow it was it was an interesting experience and what we took out of that was that no matter where you go uh, guys love their dogs mm-hmm. I mean, uh, you know they had english setters gordon setter one gentleman had some pointers english pointers and some irish setters of course mm-hmm. uh, but uh, but you know wherever you go it's all about those dogs and and working the dogs and uh and, and they were the same way. The the, the gun work and uh, harvesting of the birds takes takes a second to just watch the dogs uh, do their uh, their work. Do their so. thing. That's a that you know that sounds like just a lot of thinking. And you know, like the only thing I can think of that that's even remotely like that down here is um, hunting down in Thomasville, Georgia. You don't really see it a lot, but there will be little signs like "Watch out for gators" or something like that. Um, yeah, yeah. And it is an issue because it's Georgia, and we do have alligators down here. But you know, you're not going to find quail anywhere near gators. That's just that's not going to happen. So it's not really as much of an issue. I don't know how I would feel. I mean, as much as I would still do it, I don't know what it would feel like for me to have to watch out for like thinner areas like that. That's wild to me. I mean, the whole terrain is different, you know? Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's nothing like I'd ever experienced. I don't think you would ever experience that bog except there. I mean, I, I just think that's really a unique, a unique place. And, uh, you know, we've hunted South Dakota before and, mm-hmm. and there are days during the South Dakota season early where <laughs> it can, it can get warm. And, uh, you know, they're always talking about, well, you know, you know, rattlesnakes could come out, you know, when it gets certain, certain, right. uh, uh, temperature and kind of thing. I never saw one, never, never hope to never see one. Right. Never do want to see one. But I do know that that's kind of a, when you get down in the Southwest and some of the quail country, mm-hmm. uh, desert country, that certainly is, uh, is something that's that, uh, you know, they encounter and they got to be careful where, not only where they step, but where their dog goes too. So, right. Uh, but yeah, the bog was a pretty interesting place. Right. So, throughout your travels, and and the show has been such a good success. Um, and I know you've got so many fans, but a lot of that success has been um, attributed to, and it's important to mention them because I mean, it just is your sponsors, Kinetic Dog Food, um, and just a lot of the other individual companies that support you. So. And I know there's a lot of people that are concerned about what to feed their dog. And, and I like to have that conversation. Kinetic's been a really big thing for you. So talk about that a little bit. Well, I mean, early on when we first kind of launched the, the video series, I mean, I think maybe we had two or three videos mm-hmm. actually up on YouTube. And, you know, we were just trying to figure, find our way. How do we get, you know, 
interest and how do we, uh, you know, we knew that we need sponsors to do the kind of things we wanted to do, but, um, but at a pheasant fest in Des Moines several years ago, I happened to meet the guys that owned Kinetic and, um, I gave him my card and, and had a conversation with John Howard, one of the owners about what we were doing. And he seemed to be interested in it. Uh, but you know, uh, I gave him a card to check it out. And I think a couple weeks later, I got a call from him and he said, uh, Hey, wait, he said, uh, you know, I've been looking at your videos and he said, we really like what you're doing. It's different. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, you know, nobody else is kind of doing what you guys are doing. And, you know, we'd like to, uh, get involved with you and be, be one of your sponsors. And, and uh, I was like, wow, you know, that's pretty, that's pretty, uh, incredible. And so, so they came on board and and once we kind of got them and started uh, traveling with them and getting some exposure and got that credibility that here's a national company that put their you know uh, their 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 seal if you will or their arm around you then it became a lot easier to right. uh, get other people to do the same thing. But uh, it was interesting because we were using their product long before that, so I was using their I was feeding their food. In fact, the reason I went in their booth. Uh, was to tell uh, um, John Howard and his and his partner Dave Dorson, uh, you know, just to tell, kind of give him a you know a, a story about you know Sweet Lou and the fact that you know it was always hard for me to keep weight on him because of the way he covered the field and the way right. he hunted, which was all out. And and after trying all these brands, I finally got him on Kinetic, and it was really working for us. And so that was kind of the kind of started the conversation which went into hey what are you doing now and, and uh, one of the other guys that I know there uh, mentioned that we were doing some videos and, and it kind of went from there but yeah they've been really good to us and, and it's easy to uh, it's really easy to promote their products because they work for us and you know we're using them and, and uh, it's always uh, always fun to, uh, to travel with those guys uh, it's an independent company it's only owned it's cell phone, the system, they started it from scratch. And so about the time they got involved with me, uh, they were trying to do the same thing, get noticed uh, by all the other competitors in the world. And they had a lot more uh, notoriety, of course, you know, than their product did. And so they were going to trade shows, doing the same thing. Hey, you know, here's who, who we are, and, you know, give us a try. And, and, uh, and so they were kind of in that, in that, uh, mode as I was so it was kind of a good fit really because I was able to promote them on our website and things that we were doing and they were doing the same thing uh, for me on on their stuff and so that was really uh, probably the thing that that uh, was a make or break thing for us I, I don't know that we would be doing what we're doing now if they hadn't come along when they did and got behind us right and uh, you know we're still we're still working with them and and uh, have a great relationship with him. In fact, Dave Dorson, uh, one of the owners, was actually in Ireland with mm-hmm. him. I was going to ask you uh, about that, yep. Yeah, yeah, he went on the Ireland trip, and uh, we're trying to see uh, about getting uh, kinetic dog food introduced over there uh, in Ireland. And uh, through we worked with the Irish Center, or English Center Club of uh, Ireland, and, and several of their members uh, are interested in you know how can we get the food and and use it and that kind of thing so mm-hmm. there's some hoops for them to jump through on the, on the uh, uh product side you know going into another country but um i think um 
I don't think they'll be able to get it worked out. They're they're in some other they're in some other countries uh, now where they've had to do the same thing. They, they're growing uh, every year. Their their business is growing, and so they're kind of really taking off. And it's fun to it's fun to watch them. And it was kind of fun to be at the you know at the ground to see to see them uh, go where they've done, and uh, for them to be a part of them, see where we're we're going with their show, kind of thing. And so. Right. Uh, not to say that we we can't use other sponsors because we always can. We're always looking for uh, any products or any sponsors that are interested in what we're doing. Right. Um, you know, because that allows us to do these international trips. And I get so many opportunities to go hunting in places and to tell a story. But I, you know, with the budget as you know, you have to go. Mm-hmm. Okay, if I got two camera guys going and the travel and the lodging, you have to kind of pick your your bibles and decide which ones you can do and which ones you can't whereas if you had the revenues and you had additional sponsors perhaps uh, you know those are things that uh more of those things that you could do uh, do now but and you know we're we're making it work right now with some freelance guys i mean you know my son is one of them he 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 works full-time but you know when he's with me he's flying a drone and He's doing second camera, and we have another two or three guys that sub in as their schedules permit. So we're kind of a, we're kind of, we kind of, it's working for us. We're getting, they're all skilled guys, so it kind of, we, they, they've learned the upland thing and what it takes. I think mm-hmm. if you look at our videos, you can see how we've improved and mm-hmm. what we're, we capture in the field, which, you know, we hope to continue getting better at it. But, right. Um, but yeah, you know, the, our our goal would be someday, you know, we have the uh, the sponsorships to allow those guys to work full time for me, you know, editing, and doing camera work, and so that we could do uh, more of the travel stuff. This international thing kind of bit me. It's kind of a, you know, it was so cool. I'm thinking, okay, guys, there's got to be other places that have some uh, indigenous bird that is unique that we could hunt, you know, whether, and, and I do have, I, from our Facebook pages and things, but there are videos, I do have a lot of, uh, offers to, to go some of those places. And so it'd be kind of cool to maybe do an international thing once a year, whether mm-hmm. that be Canada or, or, uh, you know, England or wherever, wherever it has to be is. But, uh, right. we'll see, we'll see. You just have to have to take it a step by step. And, uh, you know, so far it's, it's, um, uh, it's working out for us and our fan kind of base continues to grow, but right. we're hoping that people hear about us and they, through the podcast, mm-hmm. seek us out, find out what we're doing like, like you did and, you know, and become, uh, kind of fans to keep us going, you know, and that's really when you get the, when you get the responses and people send you an email and say, you know, Hey, keep going. You, we love what you're doing. It's it's that motivation. That, right. Gosh, right. People really like it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, oh, that'll look that doing something right, so you keep going. Yeah, that'll put some fire up under your britches now. So I... yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and there are days that you know when you go, oh man, you know, maybe you ought to just start selling insurance or something. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and and then you get a letter, or you get an email from somebody who said, "Wow, you know, I really love what you're doing, and sweet lose my, you know." Mm-hmm. And can I have one of your, how do I buy one of your hats or how can I get a, you know, picture or, you know, whatever it is. And so, right. you right. know, those are always kind of a, a uplifting moments 
Uh, when we when we, we get those kind of things. Well, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you know now. Once we get off the line with everything, I'm gonna bug you about a hat. So just keep that in the back of your oh, okay. mind. Okay. Okay. <laughs> I, I'll definitely buy one from you, but get, keep that in the back of your mind. Um, I, but I get a notebook if you get a hat. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. And just look, hey, let's do a little bit of uh, a little bit of advertising. So there is a second gun dog notebook, um, Wade, that I actually designed myself. Um, uh-huh. I'll send you images. I've designed the entire thing myself. I will send you one of the first um, copies of it. I, it's oh, a awesome. yeah. It's yeah. a it's like a training agenda. You pretty much take notes. It's oh, everything sure. that I did, and it's just got a couple of my articles, photos, and stuff. I will absolutely send you one of those. Yeah, that'd be that'd be uh, tremendous. Yeah, I um, I'm love trying to. Have one to... Of those. I'd love to have you, uh, you know, uh, wearing one of my hats down there to, uh, as you're trying to avoid gators. <laughs> well, uh, you know, when you said down there at quail hunt with you yesterday you forgot to you forgot to mention the gator part oh well yeah see about that <laughs> <laughs> and look, look i won't take you anywhere near the gators you don't find quail okay. near gators quail are at least smart enough to stay away from that area oh <laughs> um, yeah deal. we 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 definitely have a good time but i am i will definitely send you one of those but look going forward you know <clears throat> And I'm sure you, you've noticed this, the upland hunting industry and the podcast community, like this thing has really taken off. And I'm, I'm glad that you and I are both in a lot of ways kind of at the front end of it. What do you think for someone that wants to start a show? Because there are going to be people that come behind us. What do you think are the pros and cons that you've noticed um, in this particular business? I mean, anything you got. Well, I mean, I do think that, you know, the digital side of it is, is where the future probably is. I mean, um, you know, it seems like social media and, you know, the, uh, everyone's wanting to watch your show on, uh, on a, on their phone or their uh, iPod or, you know, whatever, or, you know, it's as far as the, you know, watching the cable TV and that kind of thing, from what I understand, from what people are telling me, the experts are saying, you know, the industry is kind of moving. Uh, to that digital realm just because that's where the younger generations are getting all their their media and uh, so now so that would mean that we're positioned pretty well and part of that is because you know I mean the cable channels demand and they're, they're so expensive to get airtime that right. it's really uh, it made more sense for us as we were trying to get started for us to seek out you know something that was uh uh, less expensive and or something that didn't cost anything, whether it was YouTube or, or uh, you know, putting up some videos on Facebook page or whatever. So I mm-hmm. kind of think that, that the, the podcast thing seems to really be taken off. I mean, people seem to really like that. They want to, uh, and, and there's several of those out there uh, now, but as you can see, the popularity of those uh, people listening in and mm-hmm. getting it on their, their their phones or whatever, I think, is really growing. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, the downside might be that, you know, um, dinosaurs like me have to adapt. I mean, that's <laughs> really the, that's really the, um, I mean, I, 
I I remember when we got computers in our office back, and it hadn't been that many years ago, and I went, right. this, this is never going to fly, you know, come on. Right. You know, email, are you kidding me? <laughs> you know, I, I, can't, you know, I can't pick up the phone and call the guy, i got to send an email, that's really kind of stupid. Right. Well, you know, and then, you know, fast forward a number of years, and, you know, it's just a necessary thing, businesses can't operate uh, without it, nor can police departments or law enforcement or anything else. And so that's just how things kind of change. And so the, the biggest challenge I had, or one of them certainly was kind of understanding the social media side of it. I still am not the greatest at it, but luckily I've got my son who is from that era, you know, he's mm-hmm. been, uh, that's all he knows. He's, you know, his whole, his, his, his he's trained and his livelihood is doing, uh, uh, um, you know, is, is in that world, I mean, doing uh, kind of uh, broadcast work, um, doing, uh, you know, webinars and that kind of thing for some businesses that he works for. So, I mean, he's, he's clued into all the social media, but it's a necessary thing to do to get, you, to get your message out there. The people need to know you exist and how to find you right. and then build from there and then share that information to their, uh, to their friends and, and colleagues or whatever. But uh, right. so... And, and, you know, I don't know where that goes, you know, and with that, you always have, as you know, there's always somebody that wants to put some something negative on your, oh my gosh. <laughs> you yeah, know, on, yeah. a, on a response or something. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so, but, but I think for the most part, I think that's probably where it's going to continue to kind of drive into right. that digital world. And, 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 you know, television as we know it today, I don't know how that will, will look, uh, you know, five, six years from now. But, right. It's changing. Um, it's definitely changing. Yeah, well, I mean, we're, we, our videos right now are on Hunt Channel uh, TV, which is a digital uh, platform. And, mm-hmm. you know, they, they have a library of videos and they also have uh, uh, scheduled kind of shows that, that run at any, all during the day. But, uh, but that's kind of, that's kind of the, the wave of the future, I think, for those kinds of platforms. So right. we'll see where that, where that goes but uh, yeah that's probably the side of it I've had to really learn I mean we talk about that with my son you know I, I didn't know a camera from a drone from a, you know, <laughs> I, I didn't know that world and he didn't know how to upland hunt I mean, right. he'd been as a kid he'd been in the field a couple times but you know he really wasn't that interested in it and, mm-hmm. and, uh, and now these guys that have, weren't, weren't hunters they were camera guys and editors now have that interest of they know what the dog's doing they know what shop they need to get they know where they probably need to get it they know how difficult it may be to get and uh and then you know how to put that in a video where you know it it is what people enjoy and want to see but um, Uh yeah so i don't know i mean like i said you just have to if you can't adapt or you're you're from that era I am, you just need some good people around you, you know, right. that know how to how to help you out. And I've been blessed there with my son being able to kind of take that build websites and, you know, uh, post pictures. I mean, you know, we're going down the road, he's posting the Instagram and he's doing all this stuff, which is a necessary thing to have to do, as mm-hmm. you know. Absolutely. Uh, it has to be timely, you know. That's the thing about social media, you know, it's 10 hours old or a day old, it really isn't relevant anymore. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> you know, so you, so you, you got to get it out there. And so uh, luckily I've got guys uh, with me that can, can do that. Even from Ireland, we were posting things. So mm-hmm. uh, imagine that. 
And and that's the special part about it. And, you know, and, and on the lot of social media, you know, we got a, a response that I wanted to um, kind of get into. But it's, it's very important um, in the wave of, of 2018, 2019 and going forward. Um, what I do like about technology in in I'm, I'm born in 1990, you know, I was born the year the Internet was really kind of introduced and I've seen it grow. And, and I'm a high school teacher. So to them, I'm a dinosaur, which is crazy. But um, <laughs> it, it's the craziest thing in the world. They're like, oh, you remember a time that there were no phones? Yeah, I do. Or no cell phones. And I'm like, yeah, it wasn't that long ago, guys. But it really wasn't. But we've seen such a rapid, um, you know, pace and just seeing how things grow so fast. Um, you're right. Yeah. If you post something, you know, within the last 10 hours, you probably got a couple more hours before it loses its relevance or anything. Um, right. But it's right. really helped with engagement and. I wanted to ask you, um, on behalf of one of uh, my listeners, um, Superman CT23, he asked you, and you're a quail man, um, he says, what What about the Bob White travel range? Because I guess he's seen quail in early November on a farm, but I guess he, he doesn't see him anymore in Iowa. Can you talk about that? Do you know anything about that? Well, um I mean, we don't see a lot of quail in Iowa. That's kind of the interesting thing is uh, um, if you get down on the very southern uh, tier of counties, which is a couple hours from where I'm located, they're starting to see quail again. But typically, I don't think you don't expect quail, at least my experience is, that they're going to really move much. I mean, um, I would I would be very surprised if you would see them, uh, you know, moving more than a quarter of a mile around a uh, uh, different different field. But, you know, I don't know. I mean, there may be some other reason why that cubby's disappeared. But right. uh, my experiences have been they usually stick. They don't go very far. You right. know, they kind of have those areas. If you can't find them one place, you're typically going to find them, you know, another. And so, uh, right. so I, don't, I don't, I wouldn't expect them to range very far. Right. Unless something's uh you know something happened to them or whatever well and i i noticed that do you think that's a um is that an annual thing i would think quail would kind of kind of hang around the same general area every year i would think yeah i mean i think so i know that there's a there's a property we've hunted for uh down towards central part of, of iowa we've it's doesn't you know, pheasants got some pheasant habitat on it. Yeah. And I know that, uh, you know, about three years ago, we accidentally kind of encountered a covey along a, uh, a wooded edge, mm -hmm. uh, which we did, didn't know was there. And, you know, in, in succeeding years, I mean, we've been able to, that covey is still there. Right. Um, it looks to me like it's kind of broken into maybe two or two different coveys because now you kind of, there's kind of one bigger covey that's located in that same general location, and then on another part of the farm, it seems like there's there's birds there for the first time. So I don't know if those coveys have kind of broken off into a into two separate coveys. Perhaps they have, but uh, yeah, my my experience is usually when they they kind of get established, unless something bad, you know, as long as there's some cover there for them, and 
you're probably going to find them all the time. Typically in Iowa, we see them in, they like brush piles. They like to get in these piles of, of uh, brush that's along a, a wooded edge, and that's typically where we'll we'll find them, find quail up here anyway. Okay. And so when you get this cold weather, you get this cold weather, you know, they get in these brush piles to get some protection from uh, from the hawks. We have a ton of hawks up here. Oh, my gosh, so yeah. Constantly up above looking for, you know, a meal, and then uh, the predators on the ground, of course. And mm-hmm. So it seems like we... Uh, in this particular weather, especially like we've got now, they'll migrate into these big kind of uh, wood piles. Up, but that's kind of what uh, one <clears throat> we always have Adeline for that because she's kind of half uh, uh, terrier when it comes to that. <laughs> she goes right into the pile, and, right? And we're you know my my hunting companion and I are kind of standing out there going, okay, we know birds are going to come out, and they just start coming out of all these little places. Cause she's in there rooting them around, but they're not going to come out unless, you know, a dog goes in there and kind of forces them out. So, uh, in these bigger piles, but, but typically, yeah, I would, I would think those coveys would stay there. Now you hunt quail a lot more than I do. So yeah. you probably see, no. you were mentioning how you can kind of GPS those, mm-hmm. those coveys and kind of get an idea where those coveys are going to be next time. And so mm-hmm. uh, that suggests to me that they probably don't move that much. They, they don't, um, and I've, I've even gotten into a new thing with um, a, a Thomas game call. So I actually have a quail call. Um, and I'm still kind of working with it. I, I don't know if it works. I don't know if it doesn't. But it's something I want to practice with. But typically, even if you flush those birds, um, quail are going to leave one bird behind. That's it, Ironically, that's how I got my first uh, wild quail in Kansas. Because I caught the one bird that was left behind. But... They're not, once those birds flush, they don't, they're not going to flush anymore, maybe 50, 60 yards. Um, and they're, yeah. and they're going to hit the ground. They're going to scatter, but they're scattering mm-hmm. to come back to the cubby. You see right. what I'm saying? They're going to circle right back around now, however long it takes for them to get there or to watch out for any kind of pre, uh, predation. Um, right. I guess is going to be the key, but I've not noticed any birds moving like that. They're, they don't, they typically, once they're there, they're pretty much sold. Um, I did notice when we were hunting Kansas earlier in the year, mm-hmm. we did, um, we did get into some coveys of quail Yeah, and they didn't fly that far and you'd see where they went down, but do you think you could get them up again? Oh no! Pretty difficult. I don't. You know, well, they're obviously they're obviously moving on the ground quite a bit, or at least those birds did, because or you know we it's like mm-hmm. I can't believe it. We saw them sat right down right here, you, and then getting them up again was was, was uh, the thing was pretty you, challenging. You know, I hmm, and I'm sure there's a lot of people that have obviously have different experiences than I do, but typically after that first quail flush, I never get those birds again. It was almost like they were never there to begin with. Um, once they fly, they're going to run. Now you, now you could have a very, very proficient dog. Maybe I need to call Adeline out here to help me out, (laughs) but I have, and, and, and this was just a, you know, two weekends ago, those birds did not get back up and we tried and we hunted, we hunted, um, they get up, they flush once and especially the late season birds, they're they're only gonna flush once. They've gotten smart. It's easier for them to stay alive on the ground yeah. than it is for them to fly. 
Yeah, at least in Kansas, that's what we experienced too. It's they the would, same thing would, here in Georgia. They would you would bust that first cubby, and then after that, boy, you know, you had to. You're very lucky if you found a sales place. Right. That's um, and and, and what if was you did, they were setting awful tight, and the dog was you know I had to do some pretty impressive work to uh, to, to, to locate him again. And so I I mean I think they're just they're. There's not a lot. They're mm-hmm. small bird, and maybe they don't put out a lot of scent. Uh, and that's certainly not like a pheasant would. But I think once they land, they do a lot. They move a lot. They, right. They're pretty, uh, pretty fast on the ground. And you know, people don't think of quail doing that, but Mm-mm. they're uh, they're notorious down here. Did. Yeah, they are notorious for it down here. Um, I mean, and it really, really threw me. Um, even the crippled birds. I mean, I and I. I hate to admit it but it, it's part of it that it happened i knocked the cripple down and that bird ran and wherever it was between a lab and a german shorthair those dogs just it just wasn't happening and we searched that area um i would say about 20 to 30 minutes i mean back and forth back and forth yeah. back and forth yeah. and they just down um so i mean to that particular uh listener question I agree with you, Wade. I don't really know why the birds would move like that because I can definitely I, I'm I'm about 95 percent sure that if I go back down to Thomasville now, I'll go to those same coveys and give or take 20 minutes. I should flush another uh, covey of birds. That would be my thought. Yeah. yeah. So, um and, and well, I, unless it was a, unless it's a, like you said, a predation thing where you know the the covey moved because of you know some some kind of uh, you know a fox or something or something right. else, uh, you know, I don't know. But my 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 experience has always been that unless unless you kill them all or something else kills them all, they, they pretty much are going to be in that same general area. Uh, I mean, they, sometimes they're hard to find. Right. Or either out in the open. Here, a lot of times they're out feeding, you know, in the open areas, and then they come, you know, you know, into the ravines and into the brushy, brushy edges, uh, you know, after they've been out feeding. And so sometimes when we missed them, I think they've probably been out there yeah. um, still and haven't come back again yet. But, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Well, yeah, it's been a while since we've hunted a lot of quail up, up here. Like I said, I, lo- I love the reports from down south that they're really coming mm-hmm. down strong. Oklahoma, Texas, and, and Kansas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I, I mean, um, shoot, and and that's that's definitely good. I I like to hear from you know other listeners and stuff who are hunting quail. That's that's my passion. Um, so you know, Wade, <laughs> I've already taken up an hour and forty eight minutes of your time, and I have had a ball, and well, I, I could. Like <laughs> Look, that would that would might be a record. That one might be in you, you know, and, and what's great about it is um people need to see your show. They do. I I'm gonna say that on the podcast. People need to see your show. I mean, for someone like me that that stays inspired and, and, and is always looking for the next battle motivation, you're doing that and you've done that. You your show, you were the one that were that really introduced me to what bird hunting was like, you know, out on another side of the country and what guiding was, you know, your show, even like I said, that iconic whistle, you can't forget it. 
well, I, I appreciate you saying that. And again, you know, I, 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 uh, I, I love hearing people that enjoy the show and that makes it all worthwhile for me is uh, that people like it mm-hmm. and can't wait for now another episode to come out. So anyone that wants to see the show, I, you know, I, Probably the easiest way to see it right now. Uh, they're all on our website at sweetpointsetters.com. And, mm-hmm. and uh, they're up on YouTube, of course, Amazon Prime. You can mm-hmm. find them there as well. We have about 10 episodes that are in the process of being edited right now. And, okay. You know, the, the, the island trip kind of kind of put a uh, – the, the, the guy that edits for us was one of our camera guys in, in, in Ireland for 10 days. And so we've kind of – uh, kind of a little bit behind where we want to be, but uh, when they come out, there's going to be a lot of content, a lot of a lot of stuff for you to watch when they when they come out. But, oh, I can't uh, wait! Yeah, and that's the other thing. Uh, you know, I guess I'd put out there: we'd love for people to come to our website, check out what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, leave us some you know comments. We're good, or you know, what we're doing good. What mm-hmm. you what you want to see in the future? Uh, we're always looking for a story. You know, if you've got a cool story, or you think it might. Yeah, on the end of all our episodes, it's me and Adeline, and I'm always asking, hey, if you think you've got an interesting story idea, you know, share it with us. Right. Maybe something that we can make a show out of wherever it is. And, uh, right. and you got to support the Patreon. If you're interested in what we're doing, we'd love to talk to you about how you can get involved with us, obviously, mm-hmm. because, uh, you know, the more sponsor uh, we get behind us, uh, some of the more things we can do as far as travel and go to some other states. So I kind of, I kind of like that quail slam idea that you mm-hmm. mentioned yesterday. You know, there's some species of quail that I think would be just really cool to highlight, you know, to showcase, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what some of those birds that are down in the, in the Southwest and, yep. and some other places. And so we're always looking for opportunities. Uh, we may be going up and doing a grouse hunt next, uh, next fall. Uh, we're kind of working on that. Okay. And, and uh, you know, some, some things like that. Maybe come down, come down there and, and do a quail hunt with you, perhaps. I, look, uh, I, that'd be kind of sweet too. you've got my word. By the time you get down here, I'll have a little pointer for you. I'll have a flushing lab, and I'll have coveys on the GPS. <laughs> I got you. You just, okay. you got a place okay. to stay, and, and we got you. <laughs> Southern hospitality, well, that's you, my word. You, have you seen the trailer? that We have a tandem trailer that we pull when we kind of go across country. It's kind of our what we call the mobile dog hotel. Uh-huh. It's uh it's a six hole, but you know, the compartments are big enough for probably two or three dogs each. But nice. uh, when I got this trailer, um, uh, it came, it came with a air conditioning unit on it, which okay. at the time I told the guy, I said, what the hell do I need that for? <laughs> I said, man, I'm in Iowa. You ever, you ever been to Iowa? And he went, well, you know, he said it's it's a feature that we have on the trailers, and so we'd like to put it on there because you know we want this one to kind of be all decked out, so mm-hmm. when people see it going down the road, it kind of represents what we do. Okay, right. I get it. Right. And I'm thinking to myself, there's no no way in hell I'd ever use that. Well, You'll need you need know it in what? Georgia. I go down there, quail hunting in Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> you are <laughs> going to that, need. I might need an area to cool them dogs down, maybe on a hot <laughs> on a hot early season day. Oh well, I'm I'm telling you now, you are going to need it. Um, but you know, you 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 a man like me. Look, we we get after birds and we run dogs all day. So you're definitely going to need it. But you have my word. As soon as you want to come down here, I will put you on as many covers coveys as I got marked. <laughs> well, I look forward to that. You know, that's a, that's the great thing about what we're doing, and 
and the people that you meet, and, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm sure your your experience is the same. And you mm-hmm. just meet people that have a have the same uh, uh, passion for hunting and dogs, and you get the opportunities to actually spend time with them and hunt with them, and and like you know, whether it's the dog food company or whatever it is, or even at an expo show like we did last weekend, you just get to talk to people that love their dogs, mm-hmm. and they just want to find out, you know, hey, how can I do this better? Or, you know, how did you uh, experience this? And mm-hmm. and you know, I'm always learning some stuff from some of them too. You know, I yep. they, you know they tell me about. Well, that, that's the other side of it is that they're always learning. I can pick up things from everybody like you that I encounter in in, in the dog world, as I, as they say. But uh, yeah, so it's 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 lots of fun. And, you know, it turns it. You know, if it turns into a job, then. Uh, uh, you know, it's so so be it. It's a mm-hmm. job that you really enjoy going to every day. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, and I didn't think I'd ever be here doing what we're doing, Drill, and now that we are, it's, uh, you know, it's a, I'm really uh, blessed. And, uh, you know, if we can keep uh, keep it up and keep uh, people enjoying what we're doing, that's, that's even, even better yet and, and uh, encourage us uh, to keep going the next mile. I will right. mention uh, before we get off here. Yeah, go ahead. We now have a Patreon. I don't remember we talked about that mm-hmm. yesterday, but you know, um, Patreon's kind of a newer kind of thing. A lot of people don't know what that is. Mm-hmm. But in the in the freelance kind of artist world, where filmmakers and other freelance guys are doing projects, uh, Patreon is a way for people who love what you're doing or fans of what you're doing and want you to continue to make you know, new videos or movies or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, Patreon is a way to uh, uh, financially support that particular uh, project, whatever it is. And it might right. be a guy writing a book, it might be a guy making, a, making movies. For us, it's all about our videos. And so if you're on our website, there is a place that uh, where you can go to and become a Patreon, Patreon uh, member, which, uh, mm-hmm. you know, you can, depending on, on the level of, of uh, uh, involvement that you want to get, you can uh, provide you know so much a month and and help. That just helps us do some more things that we're uh, you know not able to do right now just because we're we're trying to watch in our budget. And so right. uh, anyway, so way we've got a lot of people so far that have signed up for that and mm-hmm. have taken a personal interest in helping the show. And so just want to put that out there that it's relatively new. Uh, some some people haven't heard about it for, you know, for five dollars a month or whatever. You could, could can help me and the boys, you know, go overseas again, perhaps you know, next year, and uh, maybe even get down there to to do a little quail hunt with you. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yes, sir. Uh, so we're always looking for different ways. Uh, we're probably going to have some merchandise thing come out here soon for people that have an interest in our our hats and that kind of thing. We get we get a lot of requests for that kind of thing. And, yes, so, sir. We're going to try to put together, a, uh, you know, on a, a merchandise kind of store on our website in the near future. That's one of the things that we're going to be doing that, mm-hmm. that we haven't done before. And uh, and so all those things kind of start um, start kind of gearing up our ability to, to do more projects, and that's what we want to do. We want to go more places, shoot more videos, and do it in places where maybe – uh, nobody's been for a while and yep. uh, you know the country is so big and there's so many different types of upland birds 
Uh, we just kind of want that variety, and nothing wrong with hunting pheasants or quail, but mm-hmm. you know, sometimes you're trying to okay, what's a different bird species, and maybe we haven't. That's kind of why the snipe were kind of interesting over right. in Ireland. You know, it's right. like man, you know, what's the, what's a snipe, and how do you hunt it? And and I think the viewers will find that very very uh, interesting. So oh, look, but, you... uh, yeah, we'd love fans to come and check us out and like our pages and give us a little uh, feedback on uh, what what they'd like to see us uh, see us uh, do and and uh, uh, we'll uh, we'll uh, go from there. Okay. Well, you know, Wade, it's been such an honor. Um, can't even believe I got you on the podcast. <laughs> so I just want to say an, an absolute thank you uh, so much for being on. We definitely have to do this again. Okay. Oh yeah. yeah. Well, I could do another couple hours probably. But, oh, look, I, I, I could do if I promise you, I have another five hours strong in me. Trust me, I can talk. I can talk. Well, yeah, and that's, and that's a fun part. I mean, I, I, I enjoy just talking bird dogs and mm-hmm. stuff. You know, that's that's easy for me to do, and so that's that's kind of why. That's kind of why. We, we go to the shows and we do things with talking to the people and trying to, you know, and, and everybody's got their own story and got their dog and, you know, grandpa had a dog like Lou and, mm-hmm. you know, hearing their story and telling them, you could tell there's some there that, you know, there's some memories there that are, are good ones. And just seeing a dog, it brings back some of those things that they did when they were kids, you know, at their grandpa's house. So mm-hmm. it's just all those things that makes it enjoyable for me. And, and if the show can continue to, uh, give people uh, some uh, some pleasure, then uh, we'll we'll continue to do it. So uh, right. everybody, uh, check us out, and and uh, we'll hopefully keep uh, soon. We'll have um, this season three released uh, for everybody to uh, to watch. You know, we do have we do have uh, I think about nine hundred subscribers that nice. you know get the email when we release a new a new video from, from YouTube kind of a thing. So if you're interested in, in that, they certainly can go and subscribe and, and be notified when our new videos come out. But, uh, yeah, check us out. Yeah. We love that. And, uh, we, we always love to talk to, uh, talk to fans of the show. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, guys, there you have it. That is Wade Kisden from Sweet Point Setter Tales. One of my absolute favorite shows on, uh, on and where I look at it is at YouTube. But guys, stay tuned for another episode. Um, wait, give me one second, wrap everything up. But guys, stay tuned for another episode. This is the Gun Dog Notebook, and uh, we'll catch y'all next week. <laughs>